a new day, Father. Again, a new day that you have gracefully given me breath in my lungs, raised me from the sleep, allowing me to come and be a conduit to share, not to show off, but to show out, Father, that we must remember to show out the light and the love that you have put in us. Show that out to others. Thank you, Father God. All your creatures on this earth, Father God, all creatures deserve compassion and kindness. They're not just dogs. They're not just cats. They're not just animals. They're your creation, Father. All deserve compassion and kindness. All those that walk by us and become our neighbors deserve compassion and kindness. Abba Yahweh Amman. Yeshua Amman. Paracletos Amman. So Sunday, great day, Isaiah. Not quite sure our uh, lead pastor is on. Uh, I think he went with one of the missions that we sent out to kind of get him started to, to hang out with him being our good shepherd. But he has others that do very well by him. Uh, thank you, Isaiah, for a great message. Isaiah was talking about um, the prodigal son. Prodigal son. Now, what is that? Prodigal son. Prodigal son. Well, let's explore a few things in this is going to be kind of a, it also goes to another location in the Bible. Remember, regula fidele, rule of faith, reading from the front to the back and the back of the front, because this is going to go back to the Old Testament. Um, so the prodigal son, it's a New Testament parable that Jesus is sharing, and it talks about perspective, actually. A perspective. This parable is actually a story of two sons. Two sons. And although it may seem like the central character is the prodigal son, I'm going to flip that a little bit. My perspective is that it's about the good Father. It's about the good, good Father. So, the prodigal son there was the two boys and one of them, the young son, was a little agitated about what he had and what he was going through and what he had to deal with. And he went to his father and he said, you know... I want that portion of the things that fall to me. And I want to be able to do what I want to do. But here's, of course, culture is different then, but we yet still have an attitude here that many children, especially those of the millennial attitude, and sorry, that's just a, a period of time age, but there are many that develop that attitude that are, you know, I want what I want. I, I got it. I earned it. Excuse me. You earned it? You were born from your mother who co-joined with your father. Your father and mother are one or the other working or both working in order to sustain your young self to feed you, to clothe you, to get you through school and get all those things that you stomp your feet around the house about. I want a new phone. I want a new laptop. I want this and I want that. 
and many of the parents acquiesced to the wanking and whining and crying and demanding of the child. This young son went to his father and says, hey, I want that that's coming to me, and I want to get it now, and and I got to go. Well, his perception was that he was being used by his father. He was a slave by his father. Excuse me, that was his father. That was his place where he was living. And his attitude was somewhat the way it is in the modern day. Shouldn't have to do anything. I'm your child. You should just give me everything. And I, I don't have to help take care of the house. I don't have to take care of my brothers and sisters. I don't have to do anything. I just want, want, want. Well, I share this with you. That there are many that even claiming to be Christians, they have that, they take that label tape, they write Christian on it, and they slap it on their forehead, and then all they do is, I want, I want, I want, I want. Except that God knows what we need, we need, we need. He's our good father. He watches out for us. He cares for us. But the story of the prodigal son, he takes his, he takes his earnings and he, he takes off and he leaves. And here's the thing that I, I love the way you have to look and see that See the italics and perspective on things here. Perspective is a, is a good thing. So the kid says, um, you know, I want my portion, goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. A lot of people, when they read through that pretty quickly, they father was giving to his son what he his living. What, what living did he have? He was around the house. He was staying there, he's being fed, he was being clothed, and he was going and carousing with his other children. And I can see just an attitude from the parable that Jesus is illustrating that the younger son probably didn't have an attitude of helps very much. But the important thing here is that he divided unto them his living. And my perception on that, because it's in italics, is not the younger son's portion because he hadn't really earned anything. He assumed that he was going to get things. But the father divided his portion to the younger son. What was his that he had raised up and put together and earned or however you want to put it, that he divided that portion and went ahead and shared with the younger son. It's important for perspective. Don't read through this word. Seek truth and understanding. And the Holy Spirit will guide your eyes and increase your spiritual hearing and open or your spiritual eyesight and open your spiritual hearing. So you have to hear and look at these things. But see, I'm a, I was guilty of that too. Read through it and divided his portion. Okay, and give it to him. But this is an important thing. The father divided his portion and shared it with the younger son because the younger son was dissatisfied and wanted to leave. The younger son had gathered everything together and he took off. He went away to a far country. The prodigal son, prodigal living, is living any way you want. And what it says here is that he went to a far country and wasted his substance with riotous living, prodigal living. He was into orgies. He went in party. He was drinking. He was carousing. He was get, and just blowing his money, absolutely blowing it. Didn't set about. He wasn't even concerned with really a place to stay. He was just concerned about spending everything he had and having everyone around him, and buy, 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 buy their attention. I was very much guilty of that. I was having things. And saw it. Wow, I am so. Father God, Abba Yahweh, Parakletos, Ashua, Amen. Thank you so much for opening my eyes and drawing me to you. Thank you so much. So he went out and he was living in this riotous way, spending everything he had. 
And he spent it all. And then, and then, oh my gosh. Then there was a huge famine in the land. Kind of like what we're dealing with now. What are you doing with what you have? You have everything set back in your, or are you just dependent on what they're promising and not delivering now? I warn you, brothers and sisters, and even if you've foreseen certain things, you are not foreseeing this. There is a time that is coming. It's going to be hard. But brothers and sisters, it can still turn about. Prayer. Stay in prayer. If you are a brother and sister in Christ, a true Christian, pray for these individuals that declare themselves to be in charge and have all the answers when they do not. They lie, cheat, and steal. Pray for them to repent and see the way and see that God is sovereign. It can still happen. This nation can be saved. When you rise up in one voice, one mind, one heart, and you say, Lord God, forgive us. Save this nation. Save our leaders. It can be done. Faith in him who is sovereign over all. So back to the parable. The young son took off and left the side of his father. His perception was that it was uh, tantamount to slavery. Oh my gosh, he had to go out and do some chores in order to help maintain what the father had and was providing for him anyway, feeding him, clothing him, had all he wanted, really all that he needed, but he didn't look at it that way. He wanted to do this and he wanted to do that. So he left. And he spent everything he had and then there came up a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in dire want. He couldn't provide for himself of what he needed because he spent everything on what he wanted. He wanted people to be around him. He wanted to be drinking and partying and carousing all the time. So he spent his money on everything he wanted. And he found himself in the middle of what the Bible calls found himself to be in want, but more importantly, he was in need, but he had nothing because he spent it and just on frivolous living, just fritted it away. And he went and joined with a, a person there and he went to work into in the fields and he went out and he was feeding the swine gathering what he could in the field so that the swine could eat. And then when he was down, he was eating the husks that he was collecting in the field that was intended for the swine because the swine were eating and his work was to feed the swine, but he was eating from that because he was hungry and he wasn't... He was determined that he was going to take care of his hunger. No one gave to him because they were taking care of what they had to take care of and they couldn't afford to take care of anyone else. I look around this today. <clears throat> oh my gosh. There are so many places that are closing. <clears throat> Pardon me. The programs that are intended for uh, these folks are not... They can't take care of them because they don't themselves have money. They can't take care of it. They can't take care of them. And you can't depend on the so-called provide-all government because they've squandered actually what they had to do so. They've been squandering. Oh, yes, they have. But they're provided for, and why is that? Because we pay for everything. But again, we must keep them in prayer. 
repentance for their strength to in, to be encouraged that they can in turn lift up this country and do right it can be done prayer prayer have that faith and pray so when this youngster finally says <laughs> i like the way it says here in uh 15 17. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? So let's look at this in a different direction. Came to himself, came to his senses. We have a lot of terms for that. But when it says when he came to himself, because he wasn't really himself, he tossed that all away. If he had been himself, he would have stayed home. He would have stayed with his father. The father provided everything that they needed, but he wanted, and he decided to throw away his life with the father and leave. So he left. But then when he came to himself, he said, wait a minute. Everyone that stayed there, they're eating. They have clothing. They have a roof over their heads. They have shelter. They have warmth. They have water to drink when it gets too hot. What was I thinking? He wasn't, except for himself. I'll get up, and I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to tell him, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And I'll just be one of your servants. At least I'll know that I'll get clothed and I'll get fed. But he went back to his father. He repented. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and his compassion and he ran. He ran to his son and he fell on his neck and he kissed him and he pulled him in and he hugged him. And he told his father exactly what he said. What he thought to himself that he would tell him and that he's sorry and that he didn't deserve to be his child and, and he'll be one of his servants or one of those that work for him. Now see here we have to look too. This is a perceptive thing here. And shame on you if you take and turn this all around and you make it into the negative. And there are many that will. When he uses the term servant, there was not, there was not in the household of most of those people, they were as part of the family in many cases. In most cases, and I'm going to stretch this out and go 99.9% .9 of the time, they were as part of the family. They had a place to live. They didn't have to leave and, and walk to another place to stay in their house. They were living there. They were part of the family. They were clothed and they fed. They probably just didn't sleep or stay in the main house. And I don't know because I didn't live there. And you don't know because you didn't live there either. So don't grab onto a word that says a servant and then go hog wild with that and make it out to be something that wasn't there or something that didn't happen. But what did happen is culture in those days, as I said, historically, factual information, that they were not as bonded slaves like the Israelites were in Egypt. Sometimes the work was tedious and hard to do, but they worked at it because they were being clothed, they were being fed, they were even given some monetary sustenance so they could go to the market and get some things to put in their own house. That's the way it was in those days. Now, of course, here's the other thing, too, that when the Europeans brought the slaves to this country, and many, many, many people look at it so differently. <laughs> All your perspective. Now, those were slaves. And after the Emancipation Proclamation, and just like they tried to destroy the statue of Abraham Lincoln, see, in their perception, they were so wound up about slavery, 
and that Abraham Lincoln <clears throat> was talking about keeping slavery and all this. No, he wasn't. He emancipated. He said there will be no more, no more of that. Will you have them that way? And that statue of Abraham Lincoln standing beside, he wasn't lording over that young man who was on his knees. They're saying that he was trying to keep the young man's head down. Abraham Lincoln, if they noticed the statue, had his hand on his chin, was trying to lift his head up because he had been taught through what he had gone through, taken from his own home and brought over here and forced into that bondage labor. But Abraham Lincoln was lifting his head up, saying, you're not that anymore. And the chains that were on him were broken. But yet, in the perspective of those who wanted to look at it in negativity, Just like this thing here, the perspective was that the young man, he didn't want to do it anymore. His perspective was that he was, everything was negative around him. Excuse me, you had a house, a roof over your head, you had food in your belly, you had clothes on your, on your body, and you had shoes on your feet. And yet you wanted everything that you said you had coming to you so you could leave. Well, you didn't have anything coming to you. You had everything that you had. That's the way... Goodness gracious, I look at it now thinking about when I was growing up and we thought about the allowance that we get. What were you doing around the house to earn any allowance? Many children now do nothing and yet their parents will dump on them 40, 50, 60, even $100 for the course of their day so they can go out and have their day. When they get done at school, they can go out with their friends or they want to go to lunch. They don't, you can't get it at school anymore. Back when I was still going to school, you got fed at school. Wasn't like you had at home. Sometimes it was. 35 cents, and you get a full lunch. And a nickel, you could have an ice cream. A long time ago. But the son came back, and the father was so happy to see him. Let me share this with you. When one comes back and repents, well, this is what this parable is about, is about repentance. And let me share this with you too. <clears throat> there will people that will backslide. They will, or even sadder, as the preacher did, they will walk away saying that they can't do this anymore. Well, what are you doing? Are you even sharing the gospel? the truth of Jesus Christ, Lord God Almighty. There are many that are not even doing that, and yet they claim that it's so difficult to do. I can't do it, I have a lisp. I can't do it, I have this big bump that comes out on my forehead. I can't do it because it, grow, it moves to my nose. All sorts of excuses. Oh, they're gonna make fun of me. I, I don't know, I'm, I can't speak well. I don't have eloquent speech either. I have teachers and people that I listen to that are really good at what they, <clears throat> and how they present things. They went to one of these fancy schmancy universities and they got a degree. I told you where my degree comes from. My degree comes from HSU University, the chancellor, the guy who started the whole thing, Lord God Almighty. Jesus Christ is the, the, uh, is the dean in charge of operations and the Paracletos, the Holy Spirit, is a guidance counselor, leads me through what I learned and, and where I can go and the direction I should be going. And they've all signed my degree. They've all signed my certificate, so I don't need anyone's validation. My validation is plenty enough for me. I don't have to claim a title to a particular prestigious university, and things happen that way. I'm not saying that all pastors do that, and they don't because, quite honestly, my pastor has his doctorate, so too does his wife. She just earned hers not too long ago, which is really awesome. I don't even know where they went to school. And it doesn't matter. What, I, what matters to me and what I know is that he speaks truth. He speaks from the Bible and he gets so excited about it. He's a good hireling shepherd. And his heart, I feel, <laughs> I really do, um, it's, I, I hesitate to share it because I don't want it to, to seem a complaint, but sometimes 
that gift that God gave me, that gift of discernment, it's painful <laughs> to feel what they're feeling. Because sometimes when my pastor, in his compassion, I feel what he feels. So I know in my prayer, which we need to be in prayer one for another and lifting up our pastors, the angels of our church, which is what they've been called. In the book of Revelation, when they submit, the, when John writes from the island of Patmos and sends out the letters to the angels of the church at such and such a location, that's to the pastor is what they're talking about. Bible speak for the pastor of that church or the leader of that church, and that's what that is. The pastors and leaders of a church have been called, uh, they're Reality is that they're hireling shepherds, but they've been called the shepherds. Congregation has been called the flock, and they've been called angels, but that's what they were. So, back to the parable. But the, he told his father when he came back that he wasn't worthy. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So here's a perspective there. The son came back. He was a prodigal. He left and he went off and did whatever he wanted to do and spent everything. But he came and he repented because he knew that he had better where he was because he was provided everything that he needed. Not so much what he wanted, but everything he needed, he got. This is a story of our relationship with Lord God Almighty, our sovereign Abba Yahweh, Heavenly Father, maker of all things made, providing what we need, and we will walk away. But you can also repent. You can also come back. You can say, Father, I'm sorry. Here's the thing that earthly parents may not do. They won't always take the son or daughter back. Sometimes they're so grieved and they're so angry and they're so mad and the devil keeps them holding on to that. He binds them in anger and hatred and they will not receive their child back to their household. They will not. You left your stand gone. But our father will never Ever do yeah, when you come in repentance and you come and ask forgiveness, he will draw you to him. He will give you such a hug that you'll think your bones are gonna crush, which he very well could do, but he doesn't. What's he do? He draws you in, he hugs you, he kisses you, then he sets you at arm's length, he looks at you with that smile and says, Of course I do. I love you. And then you are back. And here's the other thing that many do not know, but it's repeated in the scripture. There is great joy in heaven at the return of the one that was lost. They have a party. This father set a party, killed a fatted calf. In heaven, they have a party. When a repentant sinner comes back and says, Father, I'm sorry. I want to be back in the fold. I want to be with the flock. I'm sorry for what I did. What was I thinking? But then on the other side, the white noise interference that Satan puts out there to pester and bother. And we won't look to that. We just look in self-condemnation, degradation. We get discouraged. We look down. How can I possibly? This is where Satan wants us. How can I possibly come back and talk to God? I can't read the Bible. I can't pray to him. I can't even face my God. This is exactly where Satan wants you to be. Exactly where he wants you to be. Not willing to repent and come back. He doesn't want you repentant. He doesn't want you back with the Lord. He wants you separated, divided, and destroyed. This is what he does. He is the destroyer, the separator, the accuser, the condemner. God is none of that. And this is, goes straight at that foolish pastor who was preaching that false doctrine and that lie. 
John 3, 16, for God condemns those who do not accept Jesus Christ. That is not what the word of God says. We condemn ourselves because of our perspectives. We look at it as condemnation. It is not. We condemn ourselves. Satan wants us to believe that God will never point his finger at anyone and say, you don't accept Jesus as your savior and accept that the fact is that he's my only begotten son and came for you then you're going to hell. On the contrary, it is we ourselves who condemn ourselves to hell by not accepting the truth. He offers it. All of us are given a free will choice. See, that pastor didn't say anything about our free will. Oh, no, he just said that God's a condemner. Why? Because he is speaking of Satan. His leader and his sovereign is the devil. So he is maligning the truth changing and twisting the word to his perspective because that's the direction Satan wants him to go. <clears throat> false teaching and false doctrine. That hireling shepherd will suffer unless he repents, which he could do. Now, back to the parable. His older son was in the field, and as he came and he drew close to the house, he heard the music and heard them all going around dancing. You say, well, how's he going to hear them dancing? Well, you have to know that culturally they had certain kinds of dancing. And they were probably playing cymbals or I can't remember what um, the timbrels, tambourine, which is what they were doing when they were dancing certain things that they danced a certain way. And they had certain music. So that's how he heard the dancing. And he called over one of the servants and says, Hey, what does this mean? And he said, Well, your brother came back. And your father had a kill, a fatted calf, because he'd received him safe and sound. And the older son was now pretty angry. And he wouldn't go in there. But see, here too, as Isaiah was sharing, this is what our father does. He came out to the older son. And he begged him to come in. He said, hey, come in, join us. This is a family thing. And the older son, now, of course, too, you have to remember that he was probably, as Isaiah pointed out, and I didn't think about that at the time, but his perspective, he found this and. And it's a valid point. The older son became angry for many reasons, but he was probably thinking, oh, sh there it go, good. The father just gave him a nice ring and gave him that robe that I had my eye on and that ring that I'd been looking at and admiring for so long, which I counted as being mine. So he counted what he had, he had not. He already counted it as his. Wasn't his might never have been his. But he was counting it as his before it even was. <clears throat> do we not oftentimes do that now? <clears throat> and this is the direction that Satan leads us to do is when you have to buy things on account. On account of what? On account you don't have the money in and you have to pay for it on time. But if you don't make the payment on time, they come back and they take it for you. That's why you have it on account, account of you haven't got. So on account of that, maybe we shouldn't count on it being ours and go get it when you don't need it. God provides what you need. And we so many times mistake what we want for what we need. We want to have that fancy car so we go get it on account, on account of not having the money for it, so we sign a contract. And now we're indebted to pay on this automobile that we really, really wanted. And then one or two years into it, you find that there are a lot of lemony things wrong with it, and you find that you had squandered that money on something that you really could have done something like a... 1965, 75, Chevy, straight side, C10, special, beautiful, pickup truck, older, 
but you could have repainted it and had it looking really pretty and it was reliable. And, and the plus is that you could work on it yourself. You could do reparations if they came manifold, manifest that you needed to fix it. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry I went off into old guy world. So the father killed us, and the, the young man, he was already counting the things that were left there that would have been his because now the youngster's gone. But here's the thing. And then he told his father, oh, these many years did I serve thee. Wait a second. You were looking at yourself as a servant or a slave, as some people would incorrectly perceive. But he counted himself as being in bondage to his father. But wait a minute. He had a roof over his head. He had clothes on his back. He was being fed regularly. And there was also any time, any single time, I'm quite certain if he had gone to his father and said, Father, I would like to go into the village. Or I want to go into the city and, and I'm going to meet some friends. And the father said, sure, here you go. Take this with you. Here, buy some for your friends. Share with them. Any single time that he wanted to do that, he could have done that. I serve thee. Neither did I transgress at any time what you said, what you commandment, your commandment over the house. And yet thou never gave me a kid and I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as he comes back, he ate everything up and squandered all the money that you gave with whores and, and you killed this fatted calf. And then the father told him, Son, you are ever with me. And all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this, thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. What he was telling the older child who was wanking about the younger child getting a fatted calf and having a, a hoedown, a party or whatever you want to call it. All he had to do was ask, Father, I'd like to have a little barbecue with my friends out in the, <clears throat> in the back 40. Can, can we do that? Well, certainly, son. Of course we can. You, let, let me get the, we'll get a nice fatted calf up and we'll, one that we've been getting ready for market and we'll go ahead and do it for you and your friends. But he did not ask, so he did not receive. Excuse me. The scripture refers to that same thing for us. You have not because you ask not. If you don't perceive things as the scripture tells us, and we start looking through our own eyes, we become lost, dazed, and confused. Perspective. He looked at himself as a servant, so he called his father and said, I want all that I have coming to me, and I'm out of here. Except the only problem is that nothing was really coming to him, but the father was a good father and allowed him to leave. See, our good heavenly father, he's not going to grab on you and say, you sit down, you stay in this church and you stay in prayer and you do what I tell you to do. Our heavenly father gave us a free will choice, just like these two sons had a free will choice. The eldest son stayed where he was and the younger kid wanted to go out and be adventurous, but he went out and he spent everything on the whores and the orgies and all this other stuff and he threw his money away. But then the eldest son, he started wanking and crying about it and say, hey, how come I don't get a party? Well, because you didn't ask for one. You were staying here all the time. You were always here. You always had what you needed. You had the roof. You had the clothes. You had the food. If you wanted to do something special, all you had to do was ask me, but you did not. This is very much in line with it. And, and when Isaiah was, was speaking, I love this part because it, the Holy Spirit really clicked on here for that. And then, now see, this parable is our Lord Jesus is speaking the parable. 
And he's sharing that. In the book of Luke, Luke 15. But now, see, that's the New Testament. Now we have to follow regula fidele, the rule of faith. And now we're going to go back up to the Old Testament. We're going to go back up here. Let me double check right quick and see where that was. I'm sorry. I think I think that was in the book of Genesis toward, toward the midpoint, the latter point. Might have been later. Genesis 15. Oh, I'm sorry, this is in the book of Numbers later on. I apologize. But anyway, so Moses brought Joshua to himself. And he said, Joshua, you're going to take one of the leaders from each one of the tribes. You're going to have a representative from each one of our 12 tribes. And... You and Caleb are going to lead them into Canaan, the land that God promised that he would deliver to them. He said, you will go, and that land I will give unto you. Now let's look back at some things here. We're going to go retrospect because this was kind of like the prodigal son and eldest son, all that. Israel, and many times... Many times. Now, see, you have to remember, too, that for, I think it was 400 years, Israel was enslaved. But they were enslaved. They weren't like these kids. They were actually in bondage. They had, and and the Egyptians became fearful of them. And this was after the time of Joseph because that Pharaoh had died. And the Egyptians that were there were, were becoming great in number. And the Egyptians feared that they would rise up and rebel and could take over the country. Well, they were fearful of that. So what did they do? They drove them into slavery, heavy slavery, and used them for the worst that could be done in Egypt. And before that time, they were all taking part in doing it, but now they were fearful. So they drove the Egyptians into bondage slavery and made them weak. They, they did everything they could to weaken them. And what did Israel do when they were out traveling in the wilderness, going heading toward the promised land and, and God helped them? Uh, lead them and Moses gave them Moses and got them out of there and they left and they went. But what did they do? They were whining, crying, said, oh, we were better off in Egypt. We should have stayed in Egypt. We should, excuse me. So you were crying, whining and wanking about being there. And now you go out for your deliverance and to be delivered and you're whining, crying and wanking about that. And you're whining, crying and wanking about the manna, heavenly bread that was sent to you. You didn't even have to do anything for it. All you had to do was go pick it up. And then when the pheasants and the quail and everything that God brought to you, you didn't have to go out and do it. You just had to walk outside the camp and pick them up off the ground. They didn't even try to fly away. And you whined and cried and wanked about that. The heavenly father was handing the stuff to you. Do we not do the same thing? Whine and cry and wank because we get what we need, but we're not getting what we want. So those 12 spies went into the land of Canaan. And kind of like the elder son, you had two of them that came back, whining, crying, and wanking because they perceived themselves as grasshoppers. Perception. The elder son. His perception. I served you for all these years. I did this and I don't get a fatty cat because you didn't ask for it. These guys went in and it says, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. So they proceeded to convince the others, except for Joshua and Caleb, that they couldn't do what God had already promised them. That they couldn't do it. And Israel was convinced by those 10. And Joshua and Caleb are shaking their head. They're looking at the ground. They're looking at heaven. And they're shaking their head. And they're like, oh, God. God was observant, but they didn't throw out the complaint to God, which sometimes we do, and I have been guilty of. God knows that that negative attitude and that uh, lazy attitude is there and present. I just got to go over it, go around it, and be there because God has brought me in a place and I have to absolutely change my outlook. And I feel much better for it because whining, crying, and wanking doesn't do anything except put you on a slippery slope. And then when you get down to the bottom, you're in a great big quagmire of yuck. I don't like being in there. So, brothers and sisters, don't see yourselves as grasshoppers. 
and don't see yourself as always there and not leaving. Why can't I get what I want, what I want, what I want? Excuse me. God's got three answers. I love this thing. I love this. I love this. I love this. I saw this posted. I can't remember. Anyway, it was acquaintance of mine. I think it was or that he reposted it. But anyway, God's got three answers. It's going to either be no, not yet, or I have something better in mind. But understand this too. God rarely, you have to understand this, Take get your mind's perspective out of where it goes. God will rarely ever say no. 99.99999% of the time, he just says, not yet. Or I have something better in mind. But our perception is that God has said no. Because we're not getting it when we want it. We didn't hear the part where God said, not yet. We just heard the portion where that not is translated to the word no. It's not. It is translated into a time-relevant issue. And we have difficulty enough wrapping our heads around that. His timing is not our timing. He works on a universal watch that works on the timing that it took him to create everything which is not in alignment with our time. His time is not our time. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our thoughts. All of these things that are related to Abba, Yahweh, the maker of all things made, the ancient of days, the first and the last, the author and the finisher, the Alpha and Omega. They are all beyond our finite minds, so we have to wrap it around faith and have faith faith, the substance of things that we hope for and the evidence of things that we cannot see have faith. That's what this is all about, perspective and faith. And Isaiah put this all, well, he didn't relate back to the Old Testament, but we have to use the rule of regula fidele, the rule of faith, and we have to realize, just like Jesus is seen all through the Old Testament, but you have to pray for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes spiritually and open your hearing spiritually so that when you read the words and they become audible and that you can see it, that they're talking about Jesus. And here's a case in point. When Joshua was on his way to the valley of Jericho before they marched around the walled city and they did that which they were commanded to do. Joshua encountered someone on that path, on that trail, on that pathway, that trail, and he encountered a man who opposed him. And that just means that when he was walking, it doesn't mean that they were sword fighting or anything like that. It just means that the person was standing looking at him and he was looking at that person. And that person had his sword drawn. But he didn't attack. He wasn't being, it was just because of the time and where they were. It was kind of a natural thing, I believe. That's my perception of that. So when Joshua began speaking with this man who appeared, whose countenance was amazing and and it relates to that, as the captain of the hosts of heavens, this is an identifier that many people go by that because they're not getting things and get to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will tell you that I speak the truth. As a captain of the hosts of heaven, he just identified himself as Jesus Christ, the anointed of God, the captain of the hosts of heaven, which means that he was in charge of all the angels. He just identified himself to Joshua. One time in the Old Testament that Jesus is identified. Another time we see that Nebuchadnezzar saw the authority. And this is what we have to understand is that Jesus wasn't saying, hey, it's me in here. I'm the fourth one. I'm Jesus, the only begotten son of God, but I'm not there yet because my time is not yet. But that's me. The authority that he possessed, the authority that he had was what preceded him, and Nebuchadnezzar said so. When he leaned forward on that throne looking into the, into the fiery furnace and they weren't being consumed, he says, hey, rhetorically, of course, speaking to 
his counselors because he already saw it and he already knew it. He said, didn't we put three guys in that furnace? Why is there a fourth one in there? And not only that, but he's like unto the Son of God. What's up with that? That is another Old Testament identifier in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, the foreseer Daniel. He saw the only begotten Son of God. The Son of God, Jesus, anointed of God, Christ, saw him in the furnace with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And there are many Christians, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to close off with this. There are many that still say Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Okay, understand this. And sometimes I've even heard, I've not heard them so much so because they forgot that Daniel's name was changed also. He was actually renamed Belteshazzar. Belshazzar. Because Belteshazzar was the son. But Belshazzar. Those were names given because they were named after one of the many gods that they perceived were the ones up there. Those were all uh, names that were given Babylonian names, their names, their Hebrew names, their given names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That is who they are. That is who they were. And they're up in heaven right now. Kind of get to meet all these adventurous people that walk through the old. Whew, that's going to be so cool. All right, brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers. How am I going out? Am I coming in? Remember, our perspective is very important, and we need to have a higher perspective and not keep it down in the doldrums, okay? It's much brighter. The air is clearer, fresher, a really nice cold breeze. We're not down here in the ultra-swaggering heat and the ultra-coldness. God keeps a perfect temperature, be in his perspective. See things through the lens of our Lord Jesus. And don't show out, or don't show off, show out. Remember the difference. Showing off is about self. Showing out is about what we were given inside to let other people see that. Have a great day.